verses here. We're just going to jump right into it. We're going to read the text. Then we're going to go verse, verse by verse through this, see what's going on, see what's, see what's happening. Uh, if you're keeping notes, the title is Responding to Jesus. Not that my title matters. That just helps me keep it all straight in my mind. So John 7, starting at verse 35. Let's look at these verses together. Or sorry, starting at verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. Thank you that we can be together. Thank you that we can take this time and we can look at you and we can, we can look at your workings and we can see how you dealt with humanity. We can see your grace. We can see your mercy. We can see your, your judgment and your righteousness. And, and we can just learn all these things about you. I pray that you'll help us to, to grasp it and to understand it and that we won't just have this surface knowledge where we know all these details and facts about the Bible or about you, but I pray that you will penetrate our hearts, that your word will, will penetrate deep into our heart, and that your spirit will work in our lives, and that, that we will fall in love with you, and that we'll truly and honestly rest in you, and that we will recognize your greatness and your power and your mercy and your love. I thank you for your faithfulness. Please work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's jump right into it. Verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast. So where are we at in our time, time frame here with Jesus at the feast? We've had this feast going on. We've looked at the details. We're at the last day. The feast is kind of winding down. Um, but it's a big day, a big day of celebration. But this feast of tabernacles, this feast of booths is, is winding down. We have Jesus standing in front of the audience, about to make a proclamation here, about to make a great statement. It's interesting that he was standing because rabbis, we've talked about rabbis, when they taught, they would usually sit down in front of the people. They would sit down and they would teach. But here we have Jesus standing up. So automatically you would think that would help draw the people's attention to him. Oh, here's Jesus again. 
this guy that does miracles, this guy that is so controversial with our leaders, and he's standing up again. What's he going to say now? Besides just standing up, look what he does. He, he cried. Remember, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, verse, verse 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple. What's he doing when he, when he cries? He's yelling out. He's standing up, gaining the people's attention. Then he's going to speak loudly with authority and power. And he's going to make an important statement. He has something important to say. His, his posture and, and his voice would make that known that what Jesus is going to say is important. And look what he says. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So if any man's thirsty, let him, let him come to me and drink. We've heard Jesus use this type of illustration before, right? Think back, John chapter 4, woman at the well. This, this woman is, is thirsting. Let's look back there. We only have like 30 verses to look at today. Let's add some more to it. John chapter 4, verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Go down to verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So it's not a new thing for Jesus to talk about, to refer to the life that he was offering, the spiritual life that he was offering as, as life, or as water, as living water. So he offers the crowd this, this living water. And before we, we talk about that, I want you to consider this ceremony and what was going on, these different details at this feast. Because not only were they recognizing their, their wanderings in the wilderness and they would build these booths or these tents out in the streets and they'd, they'd live in the streets or on rooftops for a week in these, these makeshift shelters. But also along with that week, there was a ceremony that dealt with water. And daily this ceremony would happen where, where the priests would take this water and they, they would walk around. I'll, I'll tell you the actual details so I don't get it wrong. Um, it, what this was, this, this water ceremony, there was this, it was not prescribed in the Old Testament, but it had become a tradition. So what they were going to do with the water throughout this week had become a tradition. The Old Testament didn't say, you have to do this water ritual, you have to do this stuff with the water. They had just added to this week of celebration, to this Feast of Tabernacles. What this water ceremony did was it helped them remember the way that God miraculously had provided water for them in the wilderness. So they were looking back to what their people had been through in the wilderness. They were celebrating the fact that God had provided for them, and they would do this daily with this, this water ritual that they would do. So they were looking back to the wilderness age. They were anticipating the blessings of the Messianic age, and it was a symbolic prayer for rain. So this water stuff, just background, this is what it meant to them. Every day of the feast week, the high priest would draw water from the pool of Siloam and carry it in a procession back to the temple. So try to picture the high priest walking with water back to the temple from this, this pool. At the water gate, the shofar would be blown three times, or this, this horn it was a trumpet made out of a horn, would be blown three times, marking the joy of the occasion. Isaiah 12, 3 would also be read, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the well of salvation. 
so this, these pictures are being made, this remembrance is being made of, of what happened in the wilderness, what they had to look forward to. So interesting to me that the Messiah was standing right in front of them. This was being pictured and celebrated, yet they were rejecting the very one that they were supposed to be celebrating. Such sad scenario. But anyways, at the temple, the priest would march around the altar while the temper choir sang the Hallel, which would be Psalms 113 to Psalms 118. So just a time of rejoicing, a time of praising God. But this would be happening throughout the week, the celebration of water. Then the water was poured out to God. With this symbolic ceremony fresh in the minds of the people, Jesus stands up and cries out, verse 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I love the way that Jesus taught. Like this illustration fresh in their minds, seeing this water. And hey, you guys are celebrating the water in the wilderness. I have spiritual water. I have spiritual life. If you'll drink of it, you will never thirst again. I can satisfy you. I am the Messiah standing in front of you, the Savior, the one who can cleanse you, who can, who can forgive your sin problem, who can make you right before the Father. I am standing here, and I am offering you this spiritual, life-giving water instead of the physical, temporal water of the ceremony. Isn't it amazing how Jesus just works in their, their minds here with this amazing illustration? It had to be fresh in their minds. And Jesus uses this illustration of water. So what Jesus is doing, though, he's shifting the focus from this, this physical water to the spiritual water, this spiritual, life-giving water. Look at his invitation and what he says here. We've read it a couple of times. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. So he tells people, hey, if, if God's working on your heart and you realize that you are spiritually thirsty, if you realize that, that you have a need, if God is working you in, in a way that you realize that you're not, a lo- that you're not enough and your, your good deeds and your religious rituals and all these things that you keep, these feasts and these, these rules, if you realize that's not enough, if you are thirsty for more than that, he says, come to me as the only source of this living water. Recognize you're thirsty. Come to me, he says. And then he says, drink. Believe on me alone for salvation. Jesus alone is the way for for life, for spiritual life. It's alone, found in Christ. Those who truly believe on me will know true, lasting, spiritual life. So much so that it will flow out of them. And I see some of you sitting here like shaking your head. Yeah, I love the spiritual life that that God gave to me. I was dead, drowning, thirsting for life. And Jesus met me. And I believed in him. And and I received that, that life. And he flows out of me. Look at verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures hath said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus affects us, would affect those who would believe in him in such a way that his life would literally flow out of them. Then you go to verse 39, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus throughout his his earthly ministry would, would... teach would tell of this Holy Spirit that was, that was coming, 
that was going to work in their lives in a great way, and you go to the, the, the Pentecost, and you see the, the Spirit coming down and just impacting the, these apostles for their ministry, and you see the Spirit alive and at work. And here Jesus is teaching more about the Spirit here. Jump ahead to uh, John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit is, is coming and he's going to be working in your lives. Jesus is telling these, these people back then. Uh, go to chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So we have Jesus teaching of this, this coming of the Holy Spirit who is going to indwell believers, who is going to help believers, who is going to work in believers. And we've looked at the Spirit and, and His functioning um, some over the, the past few months. And we've seen how the Holy Spirit helps us, seals us, gives us confidence, helps, helps us know the love of God in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is alive and active in the lives of believers. When Jesus would ascend to heaven and be glorified, when he went away, the Spirit would come. And as I said, it would be on display greatly at, at the day of Pentecost. Every true believer receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. And he is alive and he is active in every believer. And Jesus makes this, this big invitation to these people with power and authority. It wasn't Jesus standing up there shyly saying, hey, you know, if I have some water, if, if you want it, come and get He boldly proclaims, I have living water. If you believe in me, if you come to me, I will grant you the spiritual life. And it will flow out of you. It will not sit in you and be stagnant. It is going to be life. And it is going to be alive and, and, and flowing out of you. Believe on me and I will give you life. Jesus says. So Jesus gives this declaration. Then the people start responding. And their responses are interesting, but somewhat normal, what we've come to expect. Many of the people, therefore, verse 40, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. So this is the prophet. Would They would be speaking of the one that that Moses wrote about. You can look in Deuteronomy and you can see Moses writing about this, this prophet that was coming. Uh, they may have had limited understanding, but they recognized Jesus as a prophet. And we know Jesus is so much more than a prophet. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. So much more than just a prophet. But we have these, these people who are believing in him. Maybe this limited understanding, but they believe in Jesus who he claims to be, they recognized Jesus as a prophet and they were convinced that he was sent from God. So we have these people not rejecting Jesus, which is wonderful to see people not rejecting Jesus. Then you get to verse 41, first part of verse 41. Others said, this is the Christ. How refreshing is that to hear that he is the Messiah, he's the anointed one. And they're believing in Jesus as the Christ they truly believed they were not keeping quiet about it. And do you remember earlier in the feast week, people were keeping quiet about their opinions of Jesus? It was only a couple weeks ago when we talked about it. They were keeping quiet about what they thought about Jesus. Why? They were fearful of the, the religious leaders. 
because the religious leaders had rejected Jesus, they wanted to kill Jesus. So for you to voice your opinion and to come to the place where you believe that he is the Christ, that he is the anointed one, that would place you in some danger. I mean, the, the religious leaders had incredible power. They could make your life miserable. They could kick you out of their clubs. I mean, they, they could make your life, I don't know what else to call them. They could make your life miserable. And these, these people were to the point where, okay, we've seen who you are. We believe your claims. We've seen the evidence. We believe your words. And we are going to believe in you as the Christ. Laying it all out there. They truly believed Jesus was the Christ, and they were not keeping quiet about it. There were also those in the crowd who were not convinced that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. They were skeptical, to say the least. Others said, um, sorry, end of verse 41, but some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? So they asked this question scornfully, expecting a negative response, because people from Galilee weren't necessarily highly regarded in the minds of a lot of the, the Jews, or especially the leadership, and we'll see that in a little bit. But it's like they're saying the Messiah couldn't really come from a lowly place like Galilee, could he? Man, that, that's where they think Jesus is from. He couldn't come from there. And then verse 42, Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Don't the scriptures say that the Christ, the Messiah, the true Messiah, don't the scriptures declare to us that he's going to be from the line of David and that he's going to be from Bethlehem? Isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly where Jesus was from. But they had this idea that he was from Galilee. They didn't want to do any research to find out, is he of the line of David? Is he? They just didn't want to believe in him. They didn't like him. They didn't like his message. They didn't want him to be the Messiah. He wasn't who they were looking for. So in their mind, they decided he's from Galilee, which, yes, Jesus was raised in Galilee, but he was born in Bethlehem, and he was from the line of David. So the credentials they were looking for, Jesus met. But they rejected it. The clear evidence was right in front of them, and they rejected the fact that Jesus was the Messiah of the line of David from the town of Bethlehem. So look what this creates, verse 43. So there was a division among the people because of him. You imagine that? The people are divided. People are divided because of Jesus. Jesus kind of had a way of doing that, didn't he? If you believe in him, it's like you're on one side. If you reject him, you're against Christ. Jesus said that would happen. That father and mother will be against each other. Families will be against each other. The truth has a way of dividing. To reject Christ is dividing yourself from those who believe in Christ. We have believers and unbelievers divided here. People are either for Jesus or against Jesus. And we also find here those people who are trying to figure it out. So I put them more on the believing side than the rejecting side because they're trying to figure out God's still working on them, working in their hearts. Verse 44, And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Kind of a familiar theme, isn't it? I mean, this is the third time in just this one week that we see people wanting to take Jesus, wanting to arrest Jesus. Unsuccessful every time. We know it wasn't God's timing for Jesus to be 
crucified yet. That's coming very, very shortly at the Passover, about six months away from here. Verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? Do you remember these guys? Looked at them a couple weeks ago. Verse 32. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. I mean, this would have been a few days prior to this. They still haven't captured Jesus. They still haven't arrested Jesus. The, the temple, or the, the priests, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they send these soldiers, these officers, these people in charge of keeping the peace in the temple, they send them to go collect Jesus, bring, them, or bring Jesus back to them. Well, they come, and, and they don't have Jesus. And the Pharisees question them, why don't, why don't you have Jesus? Well, these guys didn't know what to do with Jesus. Verse, verse 45, they, they seem confused. They had been given these orders. Temple police who were used to taking orders and her, who were used to executing orders. So this isn't a new thing for them. Hey, I want you to take care of this over here. They would have been used to executing these, these orders from the religious leaders. So they come back. They're, they're confused. They didn't carry out the orders they were giving. There was something special about Jesus. Jesus was different. They didn't feel right just, just going in and grabbing him and taking him back to the religious leaders here. So they returned empty-handed. And you have the religious leaders, where is he? Why haven't you brought him to us? Where is Jesus? We told you to go get him and bring him to us. He's in big trouble. He's lying to the people. He's saying he's the Messiah. He's making these claims. He's not who he says he is. Bring him to us. He's causing the stir. Bring him to us. They don't, they don't do it. Verse 46, the officers answered, never man spake like this man. Think about these officers. They have heard a lot of people talk. They're in there hearing the rabbis teaching on a daily basis. They hear people talk all the time. They were religiously trained Levites. So not just some clown off the street to keep charge of the, the temple, to keep, it, to keep it safe and secure and orderly. These were trained Levites, people who would have known the, the ways, who would have known religious teachings. And Jesus' words left them stunned. They were caught between the power and grace of the words of Jesus. Think about this. And the hatred and rejection of the leaders. And they did nothing. They heard Jesus speak. They listened to Jesus teach. They, they saw his grace and, and his love and his power. But they were trapped by these hateful religious leaders who just wanted Jesus gone, who wanted Jesus executed. So look how the Pharisees respond. They kind of try to shame them back to their reality. Verse 47, Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Come on, you guys haven't been fooled by this man too, have you? I know some of the, the common people are getting fooled by this man, but surely you're not fooled by him. You're religiously trained Levites. How could you be so foolish? Aren't you as smart as us self-righteous Pharisees? Can't you see this, this shaming kind of going on here? You're not, you're not foolish enough to believe. You don't believe he is who he says he is, do you? We told you to go get him. Why didn't you go get him? Verse 48, they continue. 
with their self-righteous, shaming peer pressure. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? So they make this claim, none of us have, have believed. If Jesus truly were the Messiah, don't you think that us religious experts, us who are so well know the law and the traditions and, and the ways, don't you think we would, we would all be believing in this Messiah? Don't you think that we would be the first to know if Jesus was actually the Messiah? You don't see us believing in Jesus, do you? Verse 49, they continue. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. And they're referring to the law. They often were not referring just to God's word, but also to their rabbinic traditions. And we've looked at how tedious those are and the different rules and washings. And so they're calling out these people who are believing in Jesus and they're saying they're ignorant, they're uneducated. And for you to believe in Jesus, you temple police officers, you are uneducated like anybody who would believe in him. The Pharisees viewed themselves as elite and above the possibility of being wrong about spiritual matters. Remember, they would place their opinions above God's word sometimes. We saw Jesus calling them out on that. Hey, we believe this and... And they found a way around what God had already said. And Jesus said, you bunch of hypocrites. Why are you doing this? Why are you placing what you believe in front of what God has said? So in their, their mind, only those that were uneducated, gullible, and simple-minded would believe in Jesus. Man, you still hear that same, same story today, don't you? Mainstream media, well, Christians are ignorant. They're uneducated. They, they don't know these things. They, there's no way a God could create a world by speaking. That's ignorant. That's foolish, is what you hear people say. All kinds of stuff, different things making fun of Christians for believing and trusting. I know God is real. You can call me ignorant if you want for believing in an all-powerful God. But he's alive and he's working in my heart in my life, and I know that he is real and that he is alive. And these, these Pharisees bring this curse or say, these people that don't know the law are just cursed. You see these Pharisees trying to manipulate these questioning officers. I wonder if any of them believed. Because you can see them questioning to the point where they wouldn't arrest Jesus. Which, yes, I believe they didn't arrest Jesus because God didn't allow them to yet. But also I believe God was working in, in some of their hearts there. And I believe there was genuine, this is me believing here, but there was genuine questioning going on. So I wonder personally if any of them came to believe in Christ. Just something to think about and drive you crazy. Um, verse... Verse 50. So we have these Pharisees just shaming these officers. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them. So we have Nicodemus being, being one of these religious leaders here, being part of this, this group. And Nicodemus kind of pipes up. Like he's heard enough about these guys shaming these, these questioning officers. He hears enough about it. 
and he, he speaks up. Remember Nicodemus, John chapter 3? He comes to Jesus by night because he's, he's questioning and he, he's wondering about Jesus and he's also scared of what his peers might think about him, which you can kind of see why. You see how brutal his peers were here. But this is the Nicodemus from, from John 3. If you wonder that story, go read John 3 later. We don't have time to go there right now. But these, these Pharisees' claim of unanimous rejection was not true. Nicodemus had not rejected Christ. He, he, was, he was questioning Christ. He was questioning who Christ was. His mind was open to the claims of Jesus. And then he reminds the Pharisees of their procedural laws. Remember, they were just bragging about their laws. And then Nicodemus kind of has to remind them of their laws. Verse 51, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him? I mean, the Romans would even give people trial. And the Romans were known for being cruel. But they would even give people a trial oftentimes before taking them out. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? So Nicodemus is saying, hey, if you think Jesus is guilty, if you think Jesus is, is false, if he's not who he claims to be, maybe we should give him a trial. Maybe we should hear from him. Let's just not condemn him before we actually hear from him. Trying to reason with these Pharisees from their own law. They were supposed to do this. Verse 51, or verse 52, they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. You see what they do to Nicodemus? Now they try to shame him. Are you one of those uneducated people from Galilee? Are you trying to stand up for Jesus? Are you really that ignorant that you would think that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah? Are you from Galilee too? Do you see the way they're just shaming and, and bringing this, this peer pressure on anyone who might believe or anyone who might stand up for Jesus? I mean, they had condemned Jesus in their minds already. They're not trying to be fair with Jesus. And here is Nicodemus saying, what, what about our law? And they mock him. They identified him with the despised, unsophisticated Galileans. It was a demeaning low blow. This might not mean a lot to us in our, in our day, calling someone from Galilee. But this was demeaning to Nicodemus. It was evidence of their hateful rejection. But it's believed that at the end of verse 52, it says, Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. It's, it's believed that Jonah, that Nahum, and that Hosea were from Galilee or from the region of Galilee. So their ignorance is showing itself in it ignorant way where they claim there's no prophet ever come out of there and we we can look back at history and we can see that possibly there actually were prophets from there but they just hated Jesus they could care less about people from Galilee we see their just blind rejection of Jesus they implied that Nicodemus was ignorant but their statement actually exposed their own ignorance in their mind they had already had it made up and they had no desire to seek the truth. And remember, they credit Jesus from being from Galilee here. Has any prophet come out of Galilee when we already know that Jesus was from Bethlehem of the line of David? But just all these details go into this, and you can see evidence for Jesus being the Messiah, and you can see people openly rejecting him as a Messiah. Then verse 53, and the feast comes to an end, 
And every man went unto his own house. Isn't, that's just interesting t- to me, the way that the chapter ends. Where there's all these people trying to decide what to do with Jesus, then the feast is over, everybody goes home. And the chapter ends. In looking at this and studying this, this passage, a lot going on, as you can see, where we could take one verse and spend a week on a verse and pull out all these details. But in studying and looking at this, it's so sad to see the rejection from the people. What I love seeing, though, is Nicodemus not giving in to the peer pressure of the Sanhedrin, uh, of these religious leaders. He doesn't give in. Nicodemus eventually believes in Jesus. In spite of his peers, in spite of all the hate that's going on, Nicodemus eventually believes. If you jump ahead to John 19, and you probably know this, I just think it's neat to look at. John 19, verses 38 through 42. So after Jesus is crucified, 1938, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. Recognize him? Now he's coming to bury Jesus. And brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen um, clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So we have this Nicodemus questioning, wondering about Jesus, almost standing up for Jesus in front of these religious leaders, coming to Jesus in secret. Later on, after Jesus dies, he comes and he's actually one of the men to take the body of Jesus. What an honor it was. But I believe you see his faith and the genuineness there of him believing in Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as drinking of that spiritual water, that spiritual life from Jesus. Through this story, we can see the the power of the gospel. Uh, We see the grace and the goodness of Jesus on display. Jesus is faithful. Jesus can save. He is worthy to be praised. He is worth trusting in. No matter what the peer pressure, no matter what the world says, no matter how the world wants to reject Jesus or bring Jesus down or put Jesus down or make false claims about Jesus, or no, no matter how much the world wants to put Christians down and say that they're, they're ignorant or that they're uneducated, Jesus is worth it all. He is worth believing in. He is worth trusting in. And, and I believe most of us in here have, have trusted in Christ as Lord and as Savior. But I wonder, have you trusted in Him? Has He been working on your heart to believe in Him? He is who He said He was. He is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the only way to be right before the Father through His shed blood, through His finished work, through Jesus Christ. Have you believed on him? He's, he's worth it. He's worthy of praise. I'm so thankful for Christ, what he endured, for the gift of salvation that he has offered to us.
Let's pray together this morning. Dear Father, I thank you for you. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that we can see your, your grace and your mercy and the way that you worked on Nicodemus' heart. I thank you for the way that you've worked in my heart, that you've worked in every believer's heart in life. I pray that you will help us to love you and to worship you and to praise you and, and put you uh, in that position that you so rightly are worthy of as Lord, as King. Please work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.